Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be bold. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Mack. On today's show, GM workers go on strike and what you can't find on TikTok. But first, the Saudi situation. So on Saturday, as you've probably heard by now, a series of coordinated attacks took out around half of Saudi Arabia's oil production, representing around 5% of global capacity. In terms of barrels, it is the single largest oil disruption in history topping both the Iranian Revolution and the 1991 Gulf War. Now, for the world, this matters because we could be headed toward military conflict with Iran. You know, war. Although no one's quite sure if President Trump's Twitter bark about being, quote, locked and loaded has actual bite. For the oil markets, it's a reminder of just how vulnerable global supply really is, despite recent talk of overcapacity. It also presents an interesting challenge for U.S. producers, particularly in the so-called shale patch, where companies have been trying to exhibit more financial discipline by being less reactionary. Oh, and of course, prices at the pump? Expect those to go up. Finally, there is Saudi Arabia itself, which has been planning to take its state-owned oil company, called Aramco, public in what would be the largest global IPO of all time. In just the last couple of weeks, it's picked bankers and installed new leadership, but now Aramco is tasked with assessing the damage and trying to get those injured facilities back online. If it does so quickly, then it's possible investors will reward the resilience. But if not, it could give more credence to the risk factors. Either way, Aramco's near-term performance could be worth tens of billions to Saudi Arabia in the long term. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Energy reporter Ben Geeman. But first, this. The equity fund resources group at Bridge Bank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Offering banking services for funds, partners, and their portfolio companies, Bridge Bank's financial solutions are designed for the entire innovation ecosystem and include creative credit solutions, robust treasury and cash management capabilities, and a suite of international banking products. Bridge Bank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. We're joined now by Axios Energy reporter Ben Geeman. Oil prices surged in the immediate aftermath of the strikes, but since then this morning, they've receded a bit. What, if anything, does that tell us? Well, it tells us a few things. One is that Saudi Arabia uh, is still massively important for global oil markets. I mean, look, the U.S. production has surged. You know, it's doubled or so over the past decade. But, you know, the Saudis are still the world's largest crude oil exporter, even though the U.S. has become the world's largest crude oil producer. And I think what that uptick told us is that even though there's a lot of crude sort of sloshing around in stockpiles and so on, a prolonged loss of Saudi supply would really, really, on some level, wreak havoc. Now, I think the fact that they bounced way up and came back down probably tells us a couple things. One is that there's a sense that while this damage has been really, really bad to these Aramco facilities, facilities that a lot of the production can come up come back online or at least a substantial amount of it can come back fairly quickly I think it also tells us that while President Trump was sounding very bellicose toward Iran last night on Twitter, that perhaps the chances of kind of a hot war breaking out are not as high as they perhaps would have people would have thought right in the wake of that uh, locked and loaded tweet that he offered. So also, let's remember that while prices are really high right now, by historical standards, they're not that high, right? I mean, we saw prices as high as $147 a barrel for for different reasons back in 2008. So they're up, but not, and and they're up, you know, it's a sharp jump, but it's not, you know, it's not like they're sky high. Let me ask you one more thing about prices. I I was speaking to an energy investor today, and, and his argument was that kind of the global oil markets for the last year or two have really been underplaying geopolitical risks, whether from Iran or Venezuela or Libya, and that this, what we've seen yesterday, is kind of a giant 
giant wake-up call to the markets. Do you agree? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, certainly there's been a huge amount of attention to some really kind of bearish forces over the last month, in recent months, and going back even further, right? I mean, we've got the U.S.-China trade spat, and that's not good for global oil demand. We've just got the sluggish global economy in general. And so we've had a lot of reasons to think that, you know, and we've had international forecasters sort of pushing their global demand growth forecast downward and downward. And all that has put downward pressure on prices. But of course, there's some incredibly dangerous and simmering tensions in the Middle East. So yeah, one thing I've been sort of hearing and reading from analysts as well is that the kind of geopolitical risk premium, if you will, has been downplayed, and now people are suddenly not downplaying it anymore, and that's why we saw that big price surge in the wake of this attack. Ben, I hate to ask you to politically do some crystal ball gazing, but I'm going to here. You know, you, you mentioned how the U.S. is now the world's largest producer, not the largest exporter, that's still Saudi Arabia, but the world's largest producer, which means, in theory, the U.S. can kind of handle a global disruption better than, say, it could have 10, 20 years ago. At the same time, you've got some presidential candidates who have said on day one, Elizabeth Warren, for example, on day one, she would sign an executive order banning fracking. And that fracking in the shale is where a lot of that U.S. production comes from. If we do see a prolonged disruption in Saudi Arabia, if they can't get everything back online quickly, does that change the political math, do you think, of the leading Democrats? Yeah, you know, I think it probably does. And that's something I'm really going to be watching pretty carefully over the coming days and weeks. I mean, look, while the U.S. is now the largest crude oil producer in the world, the Saudis are right there pretty close to us at around just a couple million barrels a day less than us, and they've got a lot of spare capacity. So they're obviously still an oil behemoth, and they're the largest exporter of crude oil specifically. So the Saudis remain overwhelmingly important to global markets, and the U.S. remains completely tethered to global markets. I mean, look, we hear a lot about energy independence, but we consume about 20 million barrels worth of oil a day, and we produce about 12, 12 and a half million barrels of oil a day. And so while imports have gone down dramatically over the last decade as we've had this kind of fracking and shale surge, we're still very intertwined with global markets. And, you know, look, for that matter, even if we had some type of very long, prolonged disruption in Saudi supplies, that's just not going to be good for the global economy. And certainly we're joined at the hip there, even if our energy posture has become greatly improved over the last decade. So that's, look, that's all a long-winded way of saying something, which is that democratic calls to move the U.S. off of fossil fuels very rapidly and a ban on fracking would certainly cause production to go down pretty quickly, even though it would take Congress to do, and I don't think it's really in the cards. But let's just talk about that hypothetical for a second. If you've got a Democratic standard bearer out there saying, I want to do something that would greatly reduce U.S. domestic oil production, I really think that that could create an opening for Republicans to say, hey, look, this is really not the time to be doing that because you're going to put us more at, you know, kind of at risk of being even more at the whims of global oil markets and supply disruptions from elsewhere. Ben, finally, let's talk the business side of this and specifically the Aramco IPO piece. This thing has been delayed. It has been on. It has been off for a couple of years now. There's reports this morning they're at least considering another delay, which makes sense. I guess if your company gets, you know, its physical infrastructure bombed, it makes sense to at least consider a delay in, you know, in the first four hours. I'm wondering from your perspective, give me your, kind of your sense here on what this means for them. In, in terms of kind of vulnerabilities and risk factors, does this turn investors off or is it totally dependent on how fast they can get online? In other words, if they can get back online quickly, investors will look and say, man, they got bombed and they're still okay. Look, it's a dangerous neighborhood, and they were already having a really, really hard time getting anywhere close to the kind of $2 trillion valuation that MBS would want. So I think this does create real headwinds for the IPO because investors can look at this, as you say, and say, look, this is a company that while it has gigantic assets and some of the easiest oil to produce in the world, massive reserves, producing their oil tends to be lower greenhouse gas emissions than a lot of other countries. And that's another reason to sort of say that even in a carbon-constrained world, this 
could be one of the, you know, the companies left standing over the long, long term. All that said, when you're in an area where you're vulnerable to this type of very sophisticated attack on your infrastructure, I think that could give investors pause. Ben Gimmon, Axios Energy Reporter and writer of the daily Axios Generate newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me on. My final two, right after this. The equity fund resource group at BridgeBank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Leveraging nearly two decades of expertise delivering solutions to emerging technology and growth companies, BridgeBank now offers services for funds, SBICs, and general partners including creative credit solutions, robust treasury management capabilities, and a suite of international banking services. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Be bold, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is General Motors, where upwards of 50,000 United Auto Workers at dozens of plants are going on strike today. It's the UAW's first nationwide strike since a two-day walkout in 2007 and relates to an inability of labor and management to agree on a new four-year contract. So the two sides are saying very different things about what GM has or hasn't offered, which probably means we could be in for a lengthy work stoppage, bringing much of GM's production to a halt. And it also puts President Trump in a tricky box. He's previously attacked both sides repeatedly, but likely doesn't now want to get on the bad side of blue-collar auto workers who he'll need to defend Michigan in 2020. So far, Trump is just tweeting that the two sides, quote, should get together and make a deal. And finally, everyone seems to be on TikTok now, the short video app that has consumed the global Gen Z. But not everything is on TikTok. The Washington Post reported yesterday that it is almost impossible to find videos of the Hong Kong democracy protests, with searches for Hong Kong instead turning up, quote, playful selfies, food photos, and sing-alongs, with barely a hint of unrest in sight. Now, we've long known that China censors social media inside of China, but this is almost a way of exporting that censorship to a U.S. audience and could become the next front in an information war between truth and propaganda. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to producers Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great National Play-Doh Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.